0: Blog Talk Radio. and welcome to clear and convincing the show that looks at criminal cases from the perspective of the courts not the court of public opinion we're lisa o'brien podcasting from new orleans louisiana where the meme makers are hard at work generating amusing memes critical of nfl referees who blew yet another call in sunday saints game against the la rams and michael carnahan from little rock arkansas where the Little Rock Planning Commission is pushing back against additional surface parking in downtown Little Rock. Tonight, we're looking at the case against Philip Ray Workman, who was convicted in March 1982 of the murder of Memphis Police Lieutenant Ronald D. Oliver. At trial, Workman claimed that he was attempting to surrender to officers when he was struck on the head. He further admitted to shooting Lieutenant Oliver and Officer Aubrey Stoddard. After two unsuccessful attempts at state post-conviction relief, Workman's counsel claimed to have discovered that a trial witness lied about seeing the shooting and that the bullet that killed Lieutenant Oliver was not fired by Workman. We'll talk about the armed robbery and murder of Lieutenant Oliver, Workman's direct appeal, and early state post-conviction claims, as well as the new evidence and fraud on the court claims raised by Workman, which led to five stays of execution and 25 years of post-conviction litigation. We're a live show, and as always, calls are welcome. Our phone number is 347-989-1171. Good evening, Michael.
1: Good evening, Lisa. How are you doing tonight?
0: Pretty good.
1: That's good to hear. I noticed uh, just one thing popping off the page here to me on the outline. There's no uh, updates. Is there nothing really going on? No,
0: nothing is really going on right now. And this case went on for 25 years in uh, essentially post-conviction after the direct appeal. So we don't really have time.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, but – Definitely an interesting one. A close one to where we are, obviously, uh, or where I'm located, obviously. But, uh, yeah, tough Sunday for you guys again.
0: I know. It was. But at least he's only out for six weeks, maybe.
1: Absolutely. Well, I mean, not only that, like you said, the NFL, this time, honestly, I will have to say, I saw the play in question, and this time it looks a lot more egregious of a missed call than the first one in the title game. Yeah. The title game game was, man, maybe. This one was, you always should err on the side of the fumble, and you can always challenge it later.
0: Right. You can't
1: challenge players like that.
0: I would be interested to know if these are L.A. refs because part of the conference controversy with the playoff game was that these refs were from Los Angeles and there was apparently some interest with the LA Rams which is who we were playing so I mean I'm you know sure. why can't they bring in referees from Kansas City well, who have I'm no sure interest in the one. Saints or in the Rams
1: it's not why would one. they
0: bring referees to New Orleans you know, from L.A. I
1: would agree. I mean, it's something that, you know, maybe look in the rule book about. I know that, like, Super Bowls are based upon, are awarded based upon, and I'm pretty sure playoff games, too, how many, you know, missed calls you make. It's like a point system. You get a point for how many calls you miss. So, I mean, essentially, when you get into, like, the NFC Championship gaming questions and things like that, you're supposed to be getting the cream of the crop as far as the fish. No
2: confidence.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not quite sure how they're appointed for regular season games. So.
0: Yeah. So uh, I bet a lot of people, my two sisters, are not speaking right now because if they talk, it's going to make Drew Brees' injury real and they can't deal with that right now. <laughs> So they are both in denial.
1: Yeah, good old Teddy Bridgewater. Don't be the quarterback. But you know, honestly you could be you could be in a worse position. You could be where my poor Steelers
0: are. Yeah. So anyway, well let's get on with uh Philip Ray Workman.
1: Okay, let's get to it.
0: And um, we'll start off talking about Lieutenant Ronald Dean Oliver. He was born in Sykeston, Missouri, or at least grew up in Sykeston, Missouri, uh, in 1940. Hang on, I didn't get my stuff opened. Oh, well, he he was born in uh, 1940. Grew up in Sykeston and then came to Memphis and joined the Memphis Police Department. He was a 20-year veteran. He'd been uh, in command of the West Precinct. He also had been married and had a daughter. That resulted in divorce, and he remarried and had several stepchildren. I don't know that his second wife and he had any children themselves. Um, At the time of the uh, events of August 5th, 1981, he was actually working out of the North Precinct of Memphis Police Department. He was a lieutenant, so he'd been promoted up through the ranks, and he um, did not actually have to respond to dispatch calls. So he was the kind of officer who went above and beyond.
1: Right,
0: rather than just doing the, you know, the minimum, right. uh, he what went above and beyond, and yeah, and so uh, that's what brought him to this call on August fifth, nineteen eighty one, and then we have Philip Ray Workman. He was born uh, at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. His father was in in the army. He had a life of moving around a lot because his dad was transferred, and he uh, got into some trouble in his early years. At one point, he actually went back to Kentucky to live with his much older brother, Terry. Uh, He did some time on a drug charge, I believe, in Georgia, and then he also had some criminal history. Uh, with I think burglary and there was an assault charge I don't know whether he was ever tried or convicted Uh, and he was he had married and had a daughter but uh, in the early late 70s early 80s he got into drugs and he was a big time drug user at some point he hitchhiked to Memphis and was Living in Memphis, don't don't know the exact circumstances, um, but that was uh, that's pretty much his story. Right. And so then we get to August fifth, nineteen eighty one. Now I had I had found an article that had a little bit more in depth about Lieutenant Oliver. However, it's Memphis Flyer. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I kind of take their stuff with a grain of salt, so I decided I'm not going to use their material because who knows if they actually got it from the horse's mouth for Lieutenant Oliver's history at least. Right. Um, so, uh, and it's you know it's kind of vague and sketchy on Philip Workman because they don't they don't want to portray someone. Like workmen as a bad guy. Right. Uh, they want to portray him as, you know, a poor, unfortunate victim of a broken system. So, uh, <clears throat> sorry. So, yeah. we get to August 5th, 1981, uh, around closing time at Wendy's on Danny Thomas. Uh, I'm not sure if it's parkway or it's a boulevard
1: I think it's boulevard, um it's yeah.
0: out yeah and it's 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 out in north memphis like right before you get to Frasier. right
1: right well so, I know for people who out there by Jude.
0: Danny Thomas runs um I think Danny Thomas runs Pretty far. St. Jude is on oh. the north side of downtown, and I think Danny Thomas Boulevard runs up north toward Fraser oh. Millington in that general vicinity. Oh. Uh, so because I a lot of people, yeah, because a lot of people, a lot of the employees that worked at the Wendy's lived in Fraser.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, um. So he went in, Philip Workman went in, he bought a hamburger, French fries, and a drink, sat down at a table, and kind of uh, dawdled over his food while other customers were leaving. The cleanup crew or the, the floor crew had come in, and the uh, Wendy's workers were in the back shutting everything down, cleaning everything down, Preparing to close the restaurant, uh, workmen got up from the table, pulled a gun, got the two floor guys who were waiting to start working, herded them to the back, rounded up the employees of the Wendy's, and everybody herded everybody in the manager's office, brandishing a gun at them, threatening to kill them, telling them he had a partner that wasn't as cool as he was. Uh, He got about $1,700 in the day's cash receipts, had them put everything in a bag, told them to wait 10 minutes before they came out, and then closed the office door and locked it and walked out of the restaurant. Uh, As we talked about before, going through an armed robbery is a traumatic incident. It's a traumatic experience. It scars you for the rest of your life.
1: Oh, yeah, I can imagine.
0: So um, as he's walking out, Lieutenant Oliver had heard the radio call, and so he had pulled up, parked his car, got out of the car. He saw a workman coming out, and apparently there was no description of a suspect because uh, one of the employees had managed to trigger a silent alarm. Uh, right. Workman had also ripped the phones out of the wall in the manager's office and in the in the Wendy's back area by the by the counters. So they couldn't have called police if they wanted to. But he was right. able to trigger a silent alarm and police responded to that. Workman was walking out. They had a rash of armed robberies in the area that the suspect was an African American male. So when Uh Oliver saw Workman, he didn't really, I guess, think much of it. When Aubrey Stoddard came up, who was a patrol officer, Workman panicked and took off. And if you've ever watched live PD or cops, when you have two police officers walk up to you and say, hey – and you turn and run, they think you're up to no good.
1: Yeah, they're not gonna just, you know, and hey, well, I that
0: I guess he didn't want to talk to us. Oh well, I've eaten too many donuts okay. today. I'm just gonna let him go. No, that's not how it works. They see you run and they think, Okay, he's done something wrong. And um so they were able to grab him and there was a struggle. It kind of went across the parking lot to an adjacent parking lot for a, an auto parts store that I don't believe is there anymore. And then um, at some point, Workman reached into his pants, pulled a forty five caliber semi-automatic pistol, shot Officer Stoddard in the arm. Then he shot officer Lieutenant Oliver in the chest by this time another patrol officer who had parked on the south side of the restaurant in response to the gunfire came around he saw officer Stoddard and, uh, and Lieutenant Oliver on the ground he went to check on them and workman took a shot at him uh-huh mm-hmm. as lieutenant Oliver fell Lieutenant Oliver was able to pull his weapon and fire at Workman, right. and his weapon was recovered. All six shots were gone. He had a revolver, and the cartridges were in the, you know, in the cylinder. But he had fired all his bullets, and they did find several 38 caliber rounds among the 45 calibers that Workman fired um, during the course of this. Workman emptied his gun. It held seven shots. They found five I believe five cartridge cartridges. They found one unspent round. And they found some bullets forty five caliber in the vicinity. Um, Officer Parker had a shotgun. And when Workman fired at him, he did return fire with the shotgun. And I hope it embarrassed him for the rest of his life. He shot Philip Workman in the ass. And I hope every time somebody looked at his ass in prison, they saw the scars from shotgun shells or shotgun rounds. But Officer Parker did not fire a 38 caliber pistol. Uh, Officer Stoddard did not fire his pistol. His pistol was recovered, fully loaded, no spent rounds. Um, There was a witness by the name of Stephen Craig who was around the scene and happened to see some of it he missed some of it because he did not want to get shot and crouched behind his car. But he saw the struggle with Workman. He saw the, I think he saw Officer Stoddard shot. He saw a Stoddard fall. He was hiding behind his car. He didn't see Workman shoot Oliver. But he heard gunfire, and when he came up from his car, Lieutenant Oliver was on the ground. And if I read his statement correctly last night in the police report, Officer Parker actually came upon the scene after Lieutenant Oliver was down on the ground and stoddard as well. And Workman had essentially fled. Um, The Workman did flee. He apparently jumped a three-foot concrete barrier fence and then hid in some underbrush and at one point hid under a truck. And, of course, we know from Carlos to Luna, hiding under a truck is, you know – Not a good idea because police see you there. You're not invisible. Um, So about an hour after the shooting, officers searching the area with canines found Philip Workman either under a truck or in underbrush. Both stories kind of prevail in the court documents. And off, uh, Workman was uh, bitten by a canine. Mm-hmm. In addition to finding Workman, they also found his empty forty-five caliber Colt, excuse me, semi-automatic pistol, and it was empty. So he was arrested at the scene. When he was arrested, he gave a false name of Larry Wilson and the initial police reports all identify him as Larry Wilson right he gave some sort of statement initially that he was trying to Surrender, and somebody hit him on the head with a flashlight, and he didn't remember shooting, but he must have shot. And he thinks he accidentally shot the officers.
1: Accidentally, of course.
0: Yeah. Accidentally. Your gun went off six times. Accidentally. Um. You know, one shot, okay, but six is kind of hard to believe. So he was arrested, he was treated, uh, and then he was taken to jail. Uh, He may have been taken to the 201 Poplar Complex because that was opened in 1981, although I don't know what time of year it was opened.
1: Right,
0: And um, I don't know when they figured out they had Philip Workman, although I'd imagine with his prison record from Georgia, his fingerprints were in the system. When they printed him, they got his fingerprints, and they knew who they were really dealing with. Um, The following day on August 6th, a man... From Tacoma Washington By the name of Harold Davis Contacted Memphis police And told them He had seen what happened at Wendy's He had seen the shooting And he In addition To all of the Wendy's employees Identified Philip Workman As the man they'd seen The Wendy's employees Identified him as the man who robbed the restaurant Harold Davis identified him as a man he'd seen struggling with police officers and shooting Aubrey Stoddard and Lieutenant Oliver. This will become an, appoint- an important point later. So keep in mind, Harold Davis contacted Memphis PD. Okay. All right. So the case went to trial – Uh, The the public defenders were appointed to represent Workman. Uh, The two public defenders appointed actually went on to be well-respected attorneys and judges in the Memphis court systems. Um, At some point, Workman did confess to the shooting to police, but he tried to claim that it was accidental. Accidental. Or that he was reacting in self-defense because one right. of the officers struck him with a flashlight. Right. So the, the prosecution had a pretty strong case. Because they've not yeah. got not only the circumstantial evidence of the struggle. They have several people who witnessed workmen struggling with the officers. Not just Harold Davis. Uh, I think Stephen Craig witnessed part of it um, so the prosecution had a pretty strong case workman was you know was taken into custody. he had wendy's money he had their money bag in his possession there's the gun, and the f b i linked it. To the 45 caliber rounds that were found around the scene, um, so Lieutenant Oliver's wound was through and through.
1: Right. Okay. They
0: may have recovered. They may have recovered a bullet, but they did recover one bullet. But that could have been the bullet that shot Officer Stoddard. And it's mm-hmm. more consistent with the one that shot Officer Stoddard. It, however, didn't have any blood or tissue on it. But, you know, at the heat of a bullet coming out of a gun, blood and tissue generally burn off pretty quickly. The only way you'll have blood or tissue is if the bullet lands in blood and tissue on the ground already. Right. Um. So most of the time um, the absence of blood and tissue doesn't doesn't disprove that that bullet struck something or someone the defense case uh, they just challenged everything they they this was some eyewitness testimony so of course they challenged the eyewitnesses um, they challenged the uh, the witness statements, the robbery statements, they tried to establish that Workman was acting in self-defense to a degree to try and minimize from first-degree felony murder to second-degree murder.
1: Right. Basically, they were trying to and, get him from the death penalty.
0: Right, Exactly. Um, And, you know, and and this is an important distinction as well. Lieutenant Oliver died as a result of Workman's – while Workman was trying to flee from a robbery that he had just committed. That's a felony murder. Therefore, intent and premeditation are not – they're not required to be proven and – you know, if you point a forty-five caliber pistol at somebody and you're three feet away from them, you intend to do serious, great bodily harm or yeah, death.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Especially a forty-five caliber pistol loaded with hollow point rounds, which can do a lot of damage. So um, the intent in those circumstances is more or less presumed, and it's very difficult to rebut. Um, the other thing that hurt is Workman testified. And, for example, when asked why he gave a false name, he said he didn't want to embarrass his family.
1: Wow. Okay.
0: Um, you know, and like I said he had the story about uh being hit on the head and the gun going off accidentally six times at least. Um, so he was not found to be particularly credible by the jury, I believe. Right. And if you ever saw interviews with him, you know, he's very slick, but he's also very manipulative. And he talked about his drug use and he was so high and he really couldn't remember anything. And, you know, if he did kill him, he didn't mean to. And it doesn't matter. You rob these people. You know, like six or seven people in the Wendy's, employees, and the two contractors. You threaten them with a gun. You made them lay on the floor. You told them if they came out sooner than 10 minutes, your partner's going to kill them. You know, that's not the actions of a good person or a nice person. So... The jury convicted him on March 30th, I believe, or March 20th, 1982. And uh, just a a note, in speedy trial in most states, a prosecutor has to bring the case to trial within 9 to 12 months of the date the person was arrested. Or indicted. And so that is probably why his trial started sometime in March 1982. I never could find an exact trial date, uh, but he was convicted, and then the sentencing was March 31st, and he was sentenced to death. His attorneys had gotten his drug use and some of his issues during the guilt phase or guilt-innocence phase of the trial. They elected not to try and put more of that information on during the penalty phase. Um, They had had him examined by a psychologist and a psychiatrist, and neither of those experts would have been helpful at the sentencing phase. Because Philip had some personality disorders going on.
1: Right. Well, so you still done. there,
0: Michael? <laughs> yeah, I'm, still yeah.
1: Here.
0: <laughs> so, I'm just, oh. so um so he was sentenced to death. His case was appealed to the Tennessee Supreme Court. Uh, because it was a death sentence. And um, on January 30th, 1984, his conviction and sentence were affirmed and the Tennessee Supreme Court set an execution date of May 29th, 1984. Um, I believe the Supreme Court in Tennessee is the Supreme Court sets execution dates. And I believe their practice is to set an execution date with the direct appeal. And that ensures that post-conviction litigation begins in a timely fashion. Right. Um, And I really can't fault them for that because if you don't, have some incentive after the direct appeal, then they, quote, investigate, and it might be two years or three years before they ever file a petition for post-conviction release. Um, Workman's attorney, another public defender who was appointed to handle the appeal, uh, did request rehearing by the Tennessee Supreme Court, which was denied. On March nineteenth, nineteen eighty four. So that's a process that took two years from the date of uh-huh. his conviction. Okay. And the writ to the U.S. Supreme Court, which was filed, was denied by the Supreme Court on October first, nineteen eighty four. With that, May twenty ninth date, Workman filed a petition for. State post-conviction relief in the criminal court in Shelby County. Uh, that where there were hearings held. His attorneys, trial attorneys, testified, and on February 13th, 1986, the first petition for post-conviction relief was denied by the trial court. Okay. That went on appeal to the Tennessee Court of Criminal Appeals, which affirmed on February eighteenth, 1987. And um, another tentative execution date was set by the Court of Criminal Appeals. That may, That may have been the Tennessee Supreme Court. I wrote the wrong court down. Um, <laughs> a tentative execution date was set on May 1, 1987. And a, another petition to the U.S. Supreme Court was filed, although they usually don't review state post-conviction claims. And that was denied on October 5, 1987. Okay. In 1992, Workman filed a second post-conviction petition. And it was denied or dismissed because the claims in that petition could have been raised in the first petition. Right. And um, that one was affirmed by the Court of Criminal Appeals on April seventh, nineteen ninety-three. Okay. The Tennessee Supreme Court re- uh, denied a request to review it in November of ninety-three, and then the U.S. Supreme Court denied certiorari on February twenty-eighth, nineteen ninety-four. Another four years went by roughly, and um, Workman filed a request for federal habeas corpus relief, and basically he raised all the issues he'd raised in direct appeal and the first state post-conviction and second state post-conviction, um, and I have to say, in the opinions that I read, the problem is that Workman's claims He didn't meet his burden to prove the claims that he was making. There were a lot of conclusory allegations, but then his proof at hearings or through affidavits or whatever means fell short of proving those claims. And we'll see that more in the later post-conviction litigation. Right. So, so uh, in uh, October. yeah.
1: On, let me make sure I'm understanding what happened. He was denied because he didn't prove that, he didn't prove what he was claiming, correct?
0: Correct. For example, he, he claimed um, in the first state post conviction, he claimed ineffective assistance of counsel because his attorneys didn't put on ev- any evidence during the sentencing phase. Well, at the hearing, his attorneys testified we had him examined by a psychologist and a psychiatrist, and both of them were not going to be helpful. If we put them on, not only with a jury of sense and death, they probably would have gotten out the torches and pitchforks right there and you know done him in in the courtroom. Um, right. So hypothetically, you know, hypothetically. So basically, it was not unreasonable. Under those circumstances, if a witness is going to do more harm than good, you don't put them on. It would have been ineffective had they put the psychiatrist and psychologist on because right. having him examined and then not using them means whatever they told the attorneys, whatever reports remain privileged. And the prosecutors never see it, never hear it, never know it. Right. So, um, you know, that that's an example of the issues not living up to what they were claimed to be. On October twenty ninth, nineteen ninety-eight, the Western District of Tennessee Uh, the judge in the Western District of Tennessee, dismissed Workman Tavius' claims. Some of the claims were dismissed on the merits, those that had been raised in the first state post-conviction claim, and some were dismissed as basically defaulted or waived because they could have been raised in the first post-conviction claim but weren't. Right. And that... Uh, decision was affirmed by the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeal. And they also denied rehearing when it was requested in May of 1999. Okay. So, and once again, he uh, his attorneys went to the U.S. Supreme Court with a writ- petition for a writ of certiorari. Uh, that was denied on October fourth, nineteen ninety nine. One interesting thing, though, the Sixth Circuit withdrew their initial opinion and replaced it with another opinion. Apparently, during the initial opinion, they the the author of the opinion. Included a few paragraphs regarding ballistics and hollow point bullets and aluminum jacketed, copper jacketed, and and different uh, uh, academic expert type information. And since none of that was in the record, it did belong in the opinion. So the Sixth Circuit withdrew the opinion, removed that material, and reissued the opinion. Okay. So um then on October 7th, 1999, the state filed a request for an execution date. That was opposed by Workman, and the Tennessee Supreme Court denied the request for an execution date to allow Workman to request rehearing. By the United States Supreme Court, which actually when they deny cert, they don't rehear it. So I don't even know how that got by anybody. <laughs> you can re you can refile your writ, but they don't rehear when they deny cert. Okay. That's interesting. Okay. But that's the reason in nineteen ninety nine. I, I don't know. Um and uh, apparently the, they did submit something, and the U.S. Supreme Court on November 29, 1999 said no. The state filed a second request for execution date. Now, this is also 1999 is the first time the state ever asked for an execution date. The two prior dates were set by the Tennessee Supreme Court basically on its own motion. And probably just that's its practice. Um, Workman filed opposition to the request for an execution date and also sought a certificate of commutation from the Tennessee Supreme Court using a more or less an antiquated um, procedure that had not been used since the modern post-conviction statutes were adopted in, like, I think, the 60s. And um, also, the, the only thing the Tennessee Supreme Court could do is, in extraordinary circumstances, they could recommend to the governor that he commute. The commutation is the power of the executive branch, not the judicial branch. Um, So that was denied on January 3rd, 2000. Uh, Justice on the Tennessee Supreme Court by the name of Adolphus Birch um, wrote numerous dissents in this case. Uh, He did not want to see Philip Workman executed. And he wrote several dissents in which he actually – said that we should recommend that the government that the governor commute workman's sentence he doesn't deserve the death penalty it's you know disproportionate compared to other crimes for which the death penalty was warranted right. um but i you know i think the murder of a police officer um and this is around the time that they started quote investigating mhm Um, Now, I I don't know if I've said it before, but I'll say it now. Investigation should be done up to prior to trial. Mm -hmm. It should continue after trial up to and through direct appeal. Right. Right. And into post-conviction. But the problem is, is that if that investigation had been done in 1984, these issues that are going to come up could have been raised in that first post-conviction motion. hmm But they weren't. So they're investigating, and I think it's around in late 1999 is when they, uh, they located Harold Davis and interviewed him and, and got some information from him, but we'll get into that a little bit later. So um, the first execution date of April 6, 2000 – in March of 2000, Workman sought a request with the, filed a request with the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeal to file a successive habeas position alleging uh, that Harold Davis has admitted that he lied about witnessing the shooting of Lieutenant Oliver by, by workman. They also, during the federal habeas, they had issued a subpoena to the Shelby County Medical Examiner's Office seeking for the first time any x-rays that may have been taken of Lieutenant Oliver. During the federal habeas, the, the reports and the records were produced. No x-ray was produced. Workman's attorneys did not file a motion to compel. They did not file a motion to enforce their subpoena, to force the Shelby County Medical Examiner's Office to appear and explain why they didn't get any x-rays that they wanted. Um, That becomes an issue later as well. I'm trying to go along this chronologically. (laughs) But didn't lay the outline out that way. Right. So um, the Sixth Circuit on May 31st, 2000, denied Workman's request to file a successive habeas petition. Workman then filed a request to recall the Sixth Circuit's mandate in the initial habeas appeal and a request for a stay of execution and those were granted on April fourth, two thousand. So he's getting a uh he's come two day within two days of ex- execution. Right at this point. Okay. Um then the uh Request for mandate, request to recall the mandate. They argue on May 30th, 2000, they want to reopen the federal habeas claim and they want to recall the mandate and basically bring in Harold Davis's recanting of his trial testimony as well as an x ray. That has been discovered and produced to the defense or the attorneys for Workman um, since the federal habeas claim had been decided, since the deciding of the federal habeas claim. On September 5, 2000, the Sixth Circuit denied the motion to reopen and dissolved the prior. Uh, stay of execution that had been put in place on April 4th. However, April 6th is coming gone, so the process of getting another execution date has to start again. Um, the Seventh Circuit uh, uh, looked at the case on banc, which means the entire Seventh Circuit looked at it. Okay. And seven of the judges were against reopening the habeas, and they dissolved the stay. Um, Several other judges, however, felt that Workman should get a chance to develop these claims in uh, district court because he was alleging fraud on the court and new evidence. And seven of the justices felt that he should get a chance to do that. Um, A second request for rehearing was denied on October 2nd, 2000. And the state filed a request for execution date at the Tennessee Supreme Court on that date. On October 5th, 2000, the Tennessee Supreme Court set a new execution date of January 31st, 2001. Um, There's also an interesting issue, a guy by the name of John Parati, He had been a district attorney or an assistant district attorney at the time of workman's arrest and trial. And he had gone on to become the Shelby County Attorney General, and they call these guys general, by the way, Um, in Shelby County I think during his state post-conviction claims. He wanted to hitch his wagon to workmen. I don't know why. And interestingly enough, the only conflict that they were concerned about was – one that workmen might have. They did not worry about a potential conflict with the Shelby County District Attorney's Office, who at that point was still involved in defending the conviction. Um, I think Mr. Parati was involved solely for the purposes of the clemency, His name appears on some of the briefs and some of the opinions, but um, Christopher Minton was the attorney that kind of handled most everything that I remember. Because I, I, I had a friend that was very interested in this case, and so I became interested in it. So I followed it along with him. Um, so enough. I digress. Uh, On January 22nd, Workman requests a stay with the Tennessee Supreme Court. On January 23rd, the Tennessee Supreme Court denies the stay. Workman then goes to the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, and on January 26th, 2001, the Sixth Circuit grants the stay. So in 2001, he comes within four days of execution. Um, During this time, Workman filed another writ with the U.S. Supreme Court and tried to file a direct writ of habeas corpus. Uh, Those were both denied. In Workman's case, there were actually a lot of things going on at the same time in different courts. mm mm-hmm. huh And this is one of the reasons that I'm I'm so uh that I've been critical of you know Rodney Reed's attorneys, for example, because they file something, they wait for it not to work and then they try something in another court. Right. And then another court, and another court, and another claim, and another claim. And I mean, Workman's attorneys were juggling a lot of balls in the air <laughs> trying to um, uh, keep Workman from being executed. Mm-hmm. On, uh, once the, the, U.S. Supreme Court refused to look at Workman's case, the Tennessee Supreme Court set another execution date for March 30th, 2001. Workman filed a motion to void that execution date and enforce the Sixth Circuit stay. He also filed a motion to reopen his habeas corpus and appoint a special master to investigate the cre- clemency process in Tennessee, because when he when he had his clemency hearing uh, before the board of pardons and paroles in Tennessee, I guess his attorneys expected to go in there and say Harold Davis lied. he's admitted he lied. He never saw anything. The cops threatened him. Uh, he was afraid for his life, and. The bullet that killed Lieutenant Oliver could not have been fired from forty five caliber because the entrance wound was bigger than the entry – the entry wound was bigger than the exit wound, which is, in fact, not true. The entry wound is like .5. Uh, di- in diameter, round hole, I guess 0.5. I don't. I'm not sure what the measurement was. The exit wound is a slit that's 0.64 by 21. So 0.64 is bigger than 0.5. Not a lot bigger, but it's it's bigger. So. Um, I don't remember what the measurement was, and I don't have uh, the reports or anything. And so they were expecting that, and and instead the Board board of Pardons of Paroles had the gall to allow, after Workman presented his case, to allow the state of Tennessee to present a rebuttal, which included Dr. O.C. Smith, testifying regarding aluminum-jacketed hollow bullets, demonstrating to the uh, Board of Pardons and Paroles that aluminum-jacketed bullets don't show up on an X-ray, pointing out that Lieutenant Oliver was taken from the scene to the John Gaston trauma unit, and a thoracotomy was performed on him, and medical procedures were performed, and it's possible that during those procedures, bullet fragments were removed. Right. Because they're trying to save his life, and bullet fragments in his body are going to result in infection. And they wouldn't think of anything of it. they just say there's a fragment, and they take it out. You know, um, so it's it's funny. It's kind of like the way the media tends to present these cases. They present what's positive for the case for innocence, and they very rarely, if ever, mention any of the things that are negative, such as the fact that workmen – not only admitted to officers that he fired the shots that wounded Aubrey Stoddard and killed Lieutenant Oliver, but that he testified to the same thing at trial. And now all of a sudden he didn't kill Lieutenant Oliver. It was friendly fire from some other police officer. Initially they blamed Aubrey Stoddard, but then the fact that Aubrey Stoddard's gun was never fired Kind of screwed him. So then they try to blame Parker, Officer Parker. But Officer Parker had a shotgun, and the wound that Lieutenant Oliver received was not or sustained was not a shotgun. And Officer Parker's statements are clear. He came on the scene after Oliver was down. And he right. did not fire until workmen <laughs> fired at him. Uh-huh. And so when it didn't work for Stoddard and Parker, it became some other officer that was there. And then, of course, police all lie all the time. They never tell the truth. They're just trying to railroad this poor, innocent man and send him to an, un, a wrongful execution. Um so the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeal denied the motion to void and enforce the the January twenty sixth day on March twenty first. On March twenty seventh, clemency was denied by the governor's office. Governor um excuse me Workman then filed a request for a temporary restraining order dealing with the clemency proceedings, um, which resulted in a couple of years of, of appeals. Um, basically, the federal, neither the federal courts nor the state courts have any judicial business in clemency proceedings. As long as minimal due process is afforded to the applicant, then the clemency proceedings are in the sole, I guess, purview of the governor or the executive branch of the government. Right. So um, that TRO was denied. Uh A rehearing was denied by the Sixth Circuit on the twenty eighth of March. A TRO was denied. Uh, Workman wanted to go to the Inter American Council on Human Rights and wanted to stay so that they could look at his case. Uh, His TRO, he was getting trying to get a TRO to prevent his execution, Uh, that was denied. Finally, on the 29th, uh, the Tennessee Supreme Court, Workman had filed a writ of error quorum novus in the trial court to bring in the Davis recantation and the friendly fire, bullet couldn't have killed him, x-ray claims, and the judge summarily dismissed the claim. And the Tennessee Supreme Court, on appeal from that, uh, granted the stay of execution on the 29th. So he comes within, I think, hours of execution, but we'll say a day, and um, reverses and remands the writ of error to the trial court. And uh, the Tennessee Supreme Court also denied the stay, requested to go to the Inter-American Council. Um, I think another writ was filed at the Supreme Court. That was denied again. Then the trial court, apparently there were some uh, articles appearing in the media, and the trial judge did not appreciate the, the tone and tenor of the articles. And so on April 6th, He basically uh, put the attorneys under a gag order. He also set a hearing on the writ of error for April twenty third, 2001, despite apparently being told by plaintiff's counsel – petitioner's counsel that that just would not do. And he ordered uh, workman's counsel to produce unedited copies. Of tapes, audio, video uh, to the prosecution. Uh, so the prosecution would have a chance to see the unedited tapes of the interviews of Harold Davis, which were all unsworn and right. outside of court. Um, Workman was appealing. The writ of error. And so basically, at the time the trial court ordered these things be done, um, jurisdiction had not been returned to the trial court. He was, he'd filed like a motion for rehearing or reconsideration. And so the trial court did not really have jurisdiction. So all of those orders were vacated, and um, the uh, writ of error was stayed by the Tennessee Court of Criminal Appeals in April of 2001, who then declared all the orders, the trial court orders, void. Once jurisdiction was returned in May on the 15th, the trial court once again instituted a gag order. Workmen filed a motion to recuse, which was heard on May 14th and denied by the judge on the 15th. Uh, The Tennessee Court of Criminal Appeals in June did reverse the gag order, which I think was wrong because I remember these stories. On, you know, WMC5 and WREG and the Fox station and, and the Commercial Appeal and Memphis Flyer and all these other places that were very pro-workmen and basically saying, you know, the police made Harold Davis lie at trial and uh, the, the prosecutor hid this x-ray. Right. Which – in reality, neither of those things was true. That was a misrepresentation. Right. Um, so there was a lot of wrangling, and I'm going kind of I'm gonna kind of skip over it because there was a lot of wrangling between the court of criminal appeals and the trial court. Uh, workmen's attorneys were buying as much time as they could. And so every time the the trial court tried to get the quorum nobis proceedings moving forward, Workman's attorneys found some problem that they had to go to the Court of Criminal Appeals or the Supreme Court about. Um, In August of 2001, Workman's request that a Rule 10 review by the Tennessee Court of Criminal Appeals uh, be done. That was denied. They did review – Workman was trying to get civil discovery rules applied to a collateral criminal proceeding. So basically, Workman's attorneys were arguing that they were entitled to the entire DA's file. They wanted to depose every attorney that had ever thought about the case to Mm -hmm. ask them about hiding the x-ray and all this. Well, in Tennessee, the collateral criminal process is governed by a specific rule in the rule of evidence, Rule 16, and that's the only discovery you get. Right. So they went to the Court of Criminal Appeals. They attempted to go to the uh, Tennessee Supreme Court, and they just went back and forth until they were finally, you know, back in the trial court. And during this time, because the Court of Criminal Appeals and the Supreme Court would not intervene, they actually did hold the hearings in the trial court, and the hearings were held. August 13th through 16th of 2001 and then additional hearings were held October 16th and November 5th 2001. And at that time, Wortman was able to put on all of his evidence, all of his witnesses to support his claims regarding Harold Davis's recantation. And Harold Davis not even being at the scene, and uh, they had a former juror who, if he had known Harold Davis lied and that Workman could not have fired the bullet that killed Lieutenant Oliver, he would have never convicted and sentenced him to death. And you know the same, the same kind of stuff we see. Right. Um, on January seventh, two thousand two. The trial judge, who was the same judge who oversaw the criminal trial, ruled on uh, Workman's writ of error quorum nobis. And you want to have a quick break?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We can do that real quick.
0: Okay. Uh, I'll take a quick break. Uh, We're in 2002. And um, if, if you could play both break songs, I don't know what we're going to get for the first break. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't remember what I uploaded last week.
1: Right, oh, absolutely. I can play both break songs and then we'll come back That's have more clear and convincing. Yes, but as a known scientist, it's a bit surprising if a girl blinded me with...
0: sure are. It was an eighties song. I th- I thought I had uploaded taps last week, so sorry I about that. Play, ended and then up playing
1: taps at some point last week.
0: I don't remember. <laughs> it's somewhere on there then. It's been so uh, Yeah. And then of course I had to I had to play the late great Rick Ocasek with the cars.
2: Well of course. Yeah, so
0: and then right place, wrong time, that's the story of Philip Workman's life.
1: Of course.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so um all right, so we're at the rid of Rid of Era Quorum Nobis, and this is going to be a lot more detail because it kind of uh you know, encompasses why the courts did not give any credibility or reliability to any of Workman's claims of actual innocence. Um, first of all, Harold Davis, he was not seen by an officer at the scene, grabbed, brought to the station, and told, You're going to do this. He called police the next day and said, I saw this happen. Um, the testimony offered by workmen was Harold Davis, a woman by the name of Vivian Porter, who gave some inconsistent affidavits. She said that she and Davis were pulled over. The cops suddenly rushed away, and they drove by the Wendy's and saw all the commotion, but that's, you know, that's all they did. And then later, she said they weren't even there at the Wendy's. They were pulled over. And when the cop drove away, they went their way. Um, and then Dr. Cyril Wecht. Now, during the early federal state post-conviction, uh, Workman was relying on a Dr. Chris Sperry. And Dr. Sperry actually testified at the clemency hearing. But by 2001, he had dropped Sperry and... Gotten Cyril Wecht on board, and the funny thing is, Cyril Wecht later in the story actually had the nerve to criticize O.C. Smith, who had also testified on behalf of the state at the clemency hearing. And you know, I I don't know if you remember um, several years ago, O.C. Smith, Cyril um, Wecht was drummed out of the Allegheny County Medical Examiner's office because apparently he was using their personnel and their resources for his private consulting business. Right. While uh, he was not criminally charged with doing so, it's still morally and ethically wrong that he did. Right. And, you know, he, he he's one of those experts that's expensive to hire privately, so... Uh, They also wanted a former juror, Wardy Parks, to testify. The judge would not allow uh, Mr. Parks to testify. However, they did allow an offer of proof from Mr. Parks. Uh Um, The judge uh, issued a long order. Basically, uh, he found, first of all, a writ of error quorum nobis is not the forum to re- reweigh evidence or retry the merits of the case. That Rivera Quorum Novus is for matters that could not have been litigated at trial on a motion for new trial on appeal or in a, a habeas corpus proceeding or state post-conviction proceeding. The issues must have been hidden or unknown and may have resulted in a different judgment if petitioner had had access to them at the time of trial. The burden in a writ of error quorum novus, just as any post-conviction proceeding, is on the petitioner, who has to show that the new evidence would be not only admissible in trial, but that the petitioner was not at fault for a failure to present that evidence earlier. Um, And that admissibility standard um, would go to if you had someone who says, Joe Blow told me he was Workman's accomplice, and he's the one who shot Lieutenant Oliver. And Joe Blow is still alive, and he's in prison somewhere, but he won't talk to anybody. Well, then you can't get that witness's statement in because it's hearsay. You would need Joe Blow to come in and, under oath, subject to cross-examination, testify that he was Workman's accomplice, even though Workman never mentioned him before, and he's the one who actually shot Lieutenant Oliver. And none of the witnesses saw a second person at the scene, but that's kind of just an example. Um, the petitioner also has to show that the uh, testimony – evidence is material, and there's a reasonable probability that the facts on which he relies are true. Another thing that Workman obviously did not like and most advocates for convicted people don't like is that when looking at Workman's claims, the court also is going to consider the entire record of the trial in addition to the proof elicited by the petitioner. Uh, And then finally, that uh, the recanted testimony must be reliable and credible. Davis was brought to Tennessee from a prison in Florida uh, by the state, not by workmen. And that's an interesting point. There was a little bit of controversy about that. Um, right. Apparently, they were trying, they were going to try and get Vivian Porter to testify, and then they wanted to show the videotapes that they had made of of, of Davis. And um, the state was like, mm, oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> if you want a recantation, you need the witness to testify. So they, you know, helped, they, they helped Workman out and they arranged for him to be brought to Tennessee. He was, uh, he was housed, I think, in Germantown. Right. And um, he was on the stand for a long time. Um, he testified that he was contacted in 1999. He was on drugs at the time of his vi- video tape statement. And he also talked to the attorney or investigator for Workman because he thought if he didn't, he would go to jail. Um, he testified they initially told defense counsel what he wanted to hear so that defense counsel would leave. He admitted that his drug abuse over the years had affected his mind and caused medical problems that affected his memory. Right. Um uh, at one point during cross examination, he couldn't said he couldn't say whether his trial testimony was true or not true. He right. could not remember or separate fact from fiction regarding the events of August 5th, 1981. Also, mm-hmm. during the time that he was in Germantown, he had a medical problem with his blood pressure at the jail. And mm-hmm. he was taken to the hospital where uh, doctors diagnosed or found evidence that he had, been, he had suffered multiple mild strokes over the years. Hmm. Um, of course, on direct examination and redirect examination, he did say, I never saw a workman shoot Lieutenant Oliver. But then under cross examination, he kind of waffled. Right. And, you know, basically, he he wasn't a reliable witness either way. Uh, But it's also important that he was not grabbed off the street and brought to the police station, although he claimed the police forced him to tell these lies on the stand. Mm -hmm. He claimed in the videotape statements that he didn't see anything, He told the cops he didn't see anything. Of course, if you didn't see anything, why would you call the police about a murder in the news? Hmm. True. You know, um, and uh, so, of course, Workman's counsel was very upset. Uh, Davis apparently testified for three days. And uh, Of course, if you listen to workman's counsel, the prosecuting attorney was very abusive to Mr. Davis, and the judge let him or her be abusive. But I suspect that it probably was not as bad as uh, his counsel makes out. I think he probably just doesn't like the fact that he had an unreliable witness. right? Right. That's why they didn't want Davis to testify. That's why they wanted Mm -hmm. to try and use the videotapes and then bring on Vivian Porter. Uh, Porter's statement conflicted with Davis because Davis never mentioned Porter having even been with him, either in 1981 or in any of his recantation statements. Right. And even Davis even claimed to have been at the Wendy's when he recanted, but he just insisted he didn't see the actual shooting. Um, so the trial judge found that you know Davis and Porter's testimony was in conflict, and that basically Porter's testimony was being offered solely for the purpose of discrediting Davis' trial testimony. And once again, the uh, purpose of Ruta vera novus is not to reweigh evidence at trial. Mm-hmm. So, um, theoretically, they probably could have found out about Porter before trial. They certainly, you know, I don't know how they found her at this point, but they certainly could have found her found her before trial. Um, and then Cyril Weck testified that he received the x-ray after he had already reached his opinions based on the autopsy report and photographs. Um, he admitted that the x-ray was just corroborative of his prior opinion. Uh, he found no significant difference between the testimony – the judge found no significant difference between Wex's testimony at the writ of error quorum nobis and the testimony of FBI agent Wilkes at trial, which talked about ballistics and hollow-point ammunition and the tendency of hollow-points to deform, especially when they strike bone uh, and other objects. Um, And Wilkes had even testified that the entry and exit wounds were not what he would expect from a hollow point bullet of any kind. And it's also important to note, Memphis police used copper jacketed hollow point bullets. Which mm-hmm. theoretically a hollow point is a hollow point whether it's a thirty eight caliber or forty five caliber, whether it's copper jacketed or aluminum jacketed. Except the aluminum jacketed may deform more significantly than the copper jacketed, but I think that's because the copper jacket is more rigid. Right. And if I understand it, the, the use of copper jackets is so that they will have rifling characteristics. To be examined, whereas a softer, hollow—I mean, aluminum—that jacket completely deforms along with the bullet, and so you you well, often don't have any rifling characteristics or anything to be able to determine, you know, where a bullet came from or, or a weapon compared ballistically to a, a weapon. Um. Also, uh, the judge found – well, basically going back to the trial testimony, Parker and Stoddard each testified that they did not fire their weapons until after Oliver was down, and it was established at trial that the only weapons fired were Workman and Oliver and Parker's shotgun. And then, of course, the trial testimony from Workman, where he admitted firing his gun and he admitted pointing it at the officers mm-hmm. and he admitted shooting Scott and Oliver, kind of makes all this rid of error quorum nobis episode, uh, evidence fall to the wayside because a jury hearing Workman admit that he fired the gun. He pointed it at the officers. He shot Oliver and Stoddard. They could dismiss every bit of this uh, theoretical discussion of hollow-point bullets and their performance and characteristics. Mm -hmm. Uh, Based on all of the new evidence presented by Workman, uh, the judge was unable to conclude that the results at trial would have been different. Had Davis recanted, Porter testified, or Wecht testified at the trial. Right. And another issue they had was that Wecht, they could have, you know, the the defense attorneys could have reached out to Wecht in 1982 or 1981, mm-hmm. and had yeah, him cool. look at the case and testify. I suspect that they probably did reach out to somebody who could not help them. Mm-hmm. Similar to Ron Lax reaching out to Chris Ferry in the West Memphis Three case and having Chris Barry say, yeah, I looked at it, you know, Peretti's right and I can't help you. So, um, So that was, that was a writ of error quorum nobis. On um, j- January 10th, 2002, the state requested that the stay of execution be dissolved and a new execution date be, sit- be set and asked the Tennessee Supreme Court to assume jurisdiction of the writ of error quorum nobis appeal. The Tennessee Supreme Court declined to do that in February, and the appeal was transferred on the 21st of February to the Court of Criminal Appeals. In the meantime, uh, Workman filed a writ of mandamus at the Davidson County Chancery Court, wanting to be allowed to have unlimited access to his personal minister during Death Watch. And the Davidson County Chancery Court, I believe, granted the writ, and the Tennessee Appeals Court reversed and remanded to dismiss the case. The uh, writ of quorum, error quorum novus appeal was affirmed by the Tennessee Court of Criminal Appeals in December On December 30, 2002, the Tennessee Court of Criminal Appeals found that Davis' testimony was the epitome of confusion, that Porter's testimony was contradictory of Davis' testimony, and that the majority of Cyril Weck's testimony was based on information that was available at trial. They also found that the x-ray was merely corroborative of Weck's opinion, based on evidence available at trial, and that Wortman failed to meet his burden of proof. Finally, uh, they found that Warty Parker's testimony that he would have never convicted if he knew all these things. Uh, they found that his testimony was improper under Tennessee Rule of Evidence 606B. And mm-hmm. they also found uh declined to perform additional proportionality review of Workman's death sentence because none was required. Well, on May 19, 2003, uh, Workman's permission, request for permission to appeal to the Tennessee Supreme Court was denied. And a request for a reconsideration of their prior proportionality review that was done on direct appeal was also denied. Um, on the 19th, once that appeal had concluded, and we're getting into the time of fax and electronic mail, because right. a lot of these things are happening on the same day. Uh, on the 19th, the state filed a request to dissolve the stay of execution and reset an execution date for workmen. Workmen filed an op- opposition citing that he was going to request rehearing on his Rule 11 appeal to the Tennessee Supreme Court, and he filed an application to do so on the 29th of May. On June 2nd, the Tennessee Supreme Court denied the request for rehearing, granted the request to dissolve the stay, And set Workman's execution for September 24, 2003. On September 15, 2003, Governor Bredesen granted Workman a reprieve in effect until January 15, 2004. So this time he came within nine days of execution. Mhm. <clears throat> um. So. Um. And then on January fifteenth, the reprieve was extended to April fifteenth, two thousand four. Um, this was because in June of two thousand two, uh, Doctor O.C. Smith. Was found in his office or somewhere in the Shelby County uh, or, or the Tennessee Health Science Building, barbed wired to a fence with a bomb. Right to him. Um, the I think the ATF. And the FBI investigated. And Smith and state attorneys had been receiving some threatening letters from someone purportedly angry at Smith for his testimony at Workman's 2001 clemency hearing. Um, however, in 2002, The investigation turned to Smith, believing that Smith may have staged the whole thing. Um, As I recall, he had been critical about security once these letters started coming in, threatening him and threatening the attorneys and, and, you know, for the state and the Attorney General's office, and um, security had not been improved. So it was believed that Smith staged this. He was a Navy veteran, very, very, very intelligent man, and they believed that he might have staged this to kind of bring attention to the security issues that existed because I, as I recall the medic, medical examiners office is in the UT medical school complex mm-hmm. if i remember correctly and so all kind of people have access to that complex 24/7 i've been there to do research at their medical library okay and, I mean, it, it's open to the public. You just walk in and, and do your thing. You don't have to show any ID. They don't ask you who you are, you know, nothing like that. So um, the charges were filed, uh, or he was indicted by a grand jury. He went to trial in federal court in 2005. And on the third day of jury deliberations, with the jurors unable to reach a verdict, The judge declared a mistrial. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, then the U.S. Attorney's Office elected to drop the charges. Hmm. Okay. So that was the reason for the reprieve. So really nothing came of it. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I stress. Not only was a jury unable to convict him of any wrongdoing, but uh, there never really was any evidence that proved he did stage it. That was a suspicion, more or less, because there was no evidence of anybody else having been involved. Right. So, although, I mean, the man was found bound with barbed wire, including barbed wire across his mouth. And, you know, I mean, I I grew up around farms and, and farm country, and I did not screw around with barbed wire fences. I didn't try and climb a barbed wire fence. I walked however far it took to get to a gate.
2: hmm.
0: Yeah. So, it's really um, fun. Yeah. So uh on April sixteenth, two thousand four, the state once again requested a an execution date. On April twenty sixth, Ortman's attorneys opposed. And on May 3rd, 2004, they supplemented their opposition. The Tennessee Supreme Court uh, on May 4th, 2004, set a, I want to say, fifth execution date. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fifth execution date for September 22nd. 2004. Uh, On okay. August 9th, <clears throat> Workman's t- attorneys filed what they called an unopposed motion to inspect the physical evidence at the Tennessee Supreme Court. On August 10th, the Tennessee Supreme Court denied that request, first of all, because they're not the proper venue for such a request, second of all, because What Workman wanted to examine was not identified specifically in the motion, and the Tennessee Supreme Court is not going to sign an order allowing Workman carte blanche to look at whatever evidence he wants to look at. Um, So on September 1st, 2004, Workman went back to federal court. He filed a... um, He had actually filed a a Rule 59 motion to alter or amend the initial federal habeas judgment, raising all the Harold Davis uh, X-ray, Cyril Wecht, entry-exit wound. Basically, the argument was the entry wound was smaller than the exit wound, which isn't true. Um, Mm -hmm. That a hollow point bullet doesn't exit the body ever, which isn't true. Um, They generally don't, but sometimes they do. That the x-ray didn't show any aluminum in workman's body, in Lieutenant Oliver's body, but aluminum doesn't show up on x-ray. So, you know, they had a lot of things that weren't true. The U.S. District Court judge had denied the motion, and I must have not written that down, uh, I think sometime in the summer of 2004. And on September 1st, Workman filed the Rule 60B motion, which is to uh, reopen or reconsider. Right the prior denial of the motion to amend the writ of habeas corpus judgment. Um, Right. The Western District of Tennessee stayed workman's execution, so he was 20 days in 2004. And a motion filed by the state to vacate the stay was denied by the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeal, Uh then the judge denied the Rule 60B motion on October 17th, 2006, denied the motion to alter or amend the Rule 59E motion on December 12th, 2006, and once again, on the 15th, the state filed a request to set another execution date, which Workman opposed in January of 2007. And on January 17th, 2007, Workman's execution was set for May 9th, 2007. Okay. Right. So <clears throat> um, in February of 2007... Governor Phil Bredesen uh, signed an executive order directing review of execution protocols in the state of Tennessee to be completed by May 2, 2007. This was in response to uh, challenges filed in other cases to Tennessee's execution protocols including the protocols for choosing electrocution or lethal injection and the execution and lethal injection procedures. Mm-hmm. On, on March 15th, Workman filed a motion to vacate his execution date because the execution protocols are under review. The state responded on May, March 20th, Workman replied on March 26th, and on the 27th of March, the Tennessee Supreme Court refused the request to vacate or reset – or rather denied the request to vacate or reset. Um, In federal court, uh, Workman had filed another motion raising – constitutional error in the writ of quorum nobis process right uh, raised a claim regarding having been subjected to death watch five times and how cruel and unusual and violative of the eighth amendment that was and um, the judge dismissed the quorum nobis claims and the death watch claims both of which Uh were um, not federal habeas. They are Civil Rights Section 1983, but did order the state of Tennessee to submit a response regarding his sufficiency of the evidence claims. Where he's trotting out, Harold Davis recanted. He lied on the stand. Police made him do it. Prosecutors made him do it. They had another claim about another witness who found a bullet inside his truck and turned it over to police. And they kind of conflated another officer's statement regarding a different bullet as saying the witness lied about finding the bullet in the truck. Right. They also had a claim about... uh, from the clemency proceeding that they said was, you know, a a lie at trial about checking weapons after the shooting. Um, Mm -hmm. So that was at the Western District, Tennessee. Um, The... Workman filed a motion for reconsideration wanting to get keep the quorum novus and death watch claims uh, alive and the state of Tennessee on the 11th filed a motion to dismiss the whole thing um, and that was denied the motion to reconsider or for the amendment of the judgment was denied um, the court Stated that Rule 59 was not an opportunity to relitigate a case. Uh, reiterated that federal quorum nobis is not relevant to a state case. Tennessee's quorum nobis procedures are post conviction and therefore are not reviewable in habeas. And right. that errors in collateral proceedings are not cognizable in, in federal habeas absent a legitimate constitutional error um, such as Brady claim or false testimony claim or whatever and that the uh, death watch claims did not allege that execution would violate the Eighth Amendment because of the prolonged incarceration and that also was not cognizable and the court denied uh, the chance to amend, the pleadings, because that would be futile because none of the claims he's raising, even if he rewrites the entire thing, is not going to be cognizable in, in habeas corpus, which is what he was doing with habeas corpus or federal writ of coram nobis. Um, mm-hmm. And the court also found that however he amended, it, it wouldn't affect the analysis of the claims themselves. On... The 27th of April, the motion to dismiss was denied, and the court transferred the habeas claim to the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeal to determine whether it would grant permission for workmen to file a successive petition. Um, The analysis of the sufficiency of the evidence claims – the court, you know, noted would be limited to the trial evidence, not after discovered evidence. Uh huh. So um, this is we're getting to where you we are getting down to the wire on execution on the third. Workman's attorney filed, attorneys filed, a TRO in the. Middle District, Tennessee, um, to <clears> – <throat> re well, they'd gotten a TRO in 2001 to prevent an autopsy from being performed on Workman after his execution. Wow. They, I guess, wanted to reopen and uh, make sure that that TRO or injunction was still – Good and the state was trying to get it uh, dismissed because Levy had actually Bruce Levy, the medical examiner in Davidson County, had actually, you know, filed an opposition to that. Uh, This it it gets confusing because they had so many different courts and so many different avenues and things that they were trying. On May first, Wortman filed a motion for stay of execution in the Sixth Circuit.  … which was denied on May 4th, Um, the Sixth Circuit found that Workman's allegations in the, I guess, request for a successive habeas claim on the sufficiency of the evidence issues, uh, that his allegations had no bearing on innocence given Workman's trial testimony…  … that he killed Lieutenant Oliver and shot Officer Stoddard. They found that Workman had been given considerable due process during 25 years, that Workman's allegations were exceedingly attenuated and vague, that Workman had little to no likelihood of success of showing an abuse of discretion by the district court in the denial of his Rule 60B motion… And Uh that his execution had been delayed five times. Um, They also found that Wortman failed to prove that Davis or any other trial testimony was false, that he failed to prove that the state attorney general knew that testimony was false, and found that his fraud on the court allegations – ...were alleging fraud on a state court, not federal court, and that the alleged fraud was presented long after his federal habeas claims had concluded. Right. On May 4th, he filed a TRO request with the Middle District of Tennessee... On the protocol, the new protocol issue, which was finalized on April 30th, 2007. On May 4th, the Middle District of Tennessee granted that TRO. A motion to vacate was filed by the state in the Sixth Circuit, and the Sixth Circuit vacated the TRO. They found that Workman's challenge to the execution protocol was dilatory. He could have challenged it in 2000, 2001. He had two opportunities in 2001, 2003, and 2004, and he waited until five days before his execution to file a challenge. Um, They also found that the state's revised procedures were actually more were actually better than the protocol that was in place during his prior execution dates because they had reviewed and revised the procedures to prevent workmen suffering pain. Workmen requested Run. a long bank hearing, and that was denied on May 7th. Um, he requested an on-bank rehearing of the TRO in the Middle District on the protocol, and that was denied. Um, the Sixth Circuit also did not consider his request for a stay. Uh, he then went to the U.S. Supreme Court and filed a request for a stay, as well as a writ, a direct writ of habeas corpus. And that was denied on May eighth. Then at ten eighteen PM and in 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 Tennessee executions take place after midnight.
1: After midnight? So at
0: ten eighteen PM after midnight. Okay. I think that I think the window is like midnight to three AM. Hmm. Okay. Or 5 a.m. If, if they can't begin the execution procedure by either 3 a.m. or 5 a.m., then the execution can't go forward. Okay. Um, and um, he wanted the Tennessee Supreme Court to issue a stay so that he'd go to Chancery Court in Davidson County and challenge the execution protocol. The Tennessee Supreme Court denied the stay, finding that the claim was made too late. Again, he could have challenged the protocol several times over the last seven years, um, that the three-drug protocol had never been invalidated by the United States Supreme Court or any other court, and in fact had been affirmed or upheld. In a decision of the Tennessee Supreme Court in 2005, and that Workman had no likelihood of success on the merits of that claim. And I believe it was the Sixth Circuit and the um, Tennessee Supreme Court who basically, you know, found he's had extraordinary due process over the last 25 years. He's had five stays of execution. The state has a right to enforce this judgment, and the time to enforce it has come. And so, at uh, I believe it was like one thirty-eight a.m. on May ninth, two thousand seven, Wortman was executed. All right, and he definitely and had enough
1: opportunity.
0: He, he had extraordinary due process. He was, in, he was in the state courts. He was in the federal courts. He went back and forth to the state and federal courts multiple times, raising essentially the same claims. Um, of course, if you read any of the articles after he was executed, they make it sound as though none of these claims were ever reviewed. by any court at any time. And that's simply not true. He presented the Quorum Novus claims in two
2: thousand two.
0: Right. And basically, you know, he failed to prove that Harold Davis lied at trial. Because he wasn't able to just play the videotapes from Harold Davis and not actually put Harold Davis on the stand under oath and subject to cross-examination. The videotapes of Davis are hearsay. They're out-of-court, unsworn statements of the deponent offered to prove the truth of the matter asserted. That's classic hearsay. Mhm, uh-huh. um, and you know the biggest stumbling block that they had was workman testified at trial and admitted to shooting Lieutenant Oliver. He admitted to shooting Aubrey Stoddard. He tried to claim it was accidental. I think he wanted to say it was self defense that that the cops hit him in the head, and so he shot him but self defense is not available in a felony murder case. Right. And, well, self-defense is not available in a felony murder case to a person who just robbed a Wendy's, who comes out the door, who sees another cop, and takes off running, struggles with the police, I mean, he he probably was clocked in the head a time or two by either Oliver or Stoddard. They're but they're all struggling. Mhm. Uh-huh. According to Stoddard's testimony, he and Oliver each had Workman in a bear hug, and at one point during the clemency uh, hearing, his attorney says, "You know, Workman's not a big guy." How could he drag these two big guys across the parking lot? Well, he's hopped up on cocaine and speed, number one. Number two, he's just committed an armed robbery. He's got the money. He's got the gun. He don't want to go back to jail. He doesn't want to go to prison. So, you know, he's going to be like a woman whose child is strapped under a car. Right he's he's gonna want to haul ass and get away, and if he has to drag two big guys along with him, he's gonna do that until he can get to his gun, and then he'll just shoot them both right so um so that yeah that is that is workman's case um i mm-hmm. i I think if you look uh DPIC may even have him on their innocent but executed lists. That may be what, that may be what got me interested in in uh going over the case again. <laughs> because I may have seen his name, you know, because he was convicted on, you know, perjured testimony from the state star witness. Harold Davis was not really the star witness. You know, He was a witness that basically corroborated the circumstantial testimony of multiple other witnesses. Right. Uh, Because, you know, Stoddard was right there. He did not see Workman shoot the gun because he was down on the ground after having been shot in the arm. But he heard the shot and saw Lieutenant Oliver fall. So that's pretty good circumstantial evidence that Workman shot Oliver the same way he shot Stoddard. He fully intended to kill Stoddard. But Stoddard was able to grapple with him with the gun. And when he pulled the trigger, Stoddard ended up getting shot in the arm.
2: right,
0: but um yeah this this case is a prime example of court of public opinion absolutely
1: presenting absolutely, absolutely right
0: there.
1: the
0: you know the the- uh, presenting only the information that gives the appearance of actual innocence and not even bothering. With any of the evidence that rebuts or refutes that right, so um, yeah, that's 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 the end of Workman. I, although I would okay. not be surprised in the next. Mm-hmm year or two to see Lil Barry Sheck come in and want access to the evidence to do DNA testing. And I do have to say, frankly, I was extremely surprised that at no point between 2000 and 2007, did any of workman's attorneys get the bright idea to try and get DNA testing. Right. On Oliver's clothes, workman's clothes, Stoddard's clothes to try and, you know, muddy the waters. I know. I know. So well,
1: let's go ahead and uh let's go ahead and put a bow on this sucker and wrap it on it.
0: All right. Thank you for listening to Clear and Convincing with Lisa O'Brien and Michael Carnahan. If you like our show and want to know more, you can find us on Facebook. Go to our blog at clearingconvincingpodcast.wordpress.com or follow me on Twitter at O'Brien L. Ann. Join us on Tuesday, September 24th at 8 o'clock p.m. Central for Episode 31, State of Missouri versus Marlon Gray, Reginald Clemens, Antonio Richardson, and Daniel Winfrey. Gray, Robinson, and Clemens were convicted and sentenced to death for the April 4, 1991, sexual assault and murders of sisters Julie and Robin Carey on the Chain of Rocks Bridge near St. Louis, Missouri. Gray was executed in 2005. Richardson's death sentence was commuted to life without parole in 2003. Winfrey, a juvenile, pled guilty and testified against his co defendants Clemens' conviction was overturned in 2015, and in 2017, he pled guilty to two counts of second-degree murder and rape, one count of robbery, and was resentenced to five consecutive life terms. We'll look at the evidence against the four, the new evidence claims advanced in post-conviction litigation, the results of DNA testing, and the possibility that Clemens' could be released on parole in 2020. Until then, have a great week and stay safe. Good night.